Welcome to Purdue Commercial Agcast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host today, Jim Mintert, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. Joining me today are Nathan Thompson, Assistant Professor of Ag Economics here at Purdue, along with Michael Langemeyer, who's a Professor of Ag Economics and also the Associate Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture. Today, we're gonna to talk about the corn and soybean outlook in light of USDA's March planting intentions, or actually the prospective plantings report, and the grain stocks reports that were released on March 31st. We're really gonna focus on the planning intentions report. We haven't had too much time to look at the grain stocks report yet because we're recording this uh, shortly after the release of these reports. So Michael, the corn planted acreage was a big surprise. Tell us what you saw in the report. Yeah, very interesting that it came in only at 91.1 million acres. I mean, I, I think with people were expecting that to be quite a bit higher uh, 92, 93 million was was common expectation. So uh, substantially lower than what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, as you look at the pre-release estimates, uh, it was lower than virtually anybody was expecting. They, uh, a number of different polls, of course, to try and capture what the trade was expecting. Um, came in about 2.3% below the average trade estimate. Um, and, and I think importantly, below anybody's estimate. Uh, that was the, the shocker and of course, gave us a very positive response in the futures market today. Almost as soon as the report came out, corn was uh, kind of bouncing off the limit up uh, category pretty quickly. Um, if you look at total crop acreage, and this was the one of the things that I think people are probably gonna debate for a while, uh, a little bit of a surprise here when you look at all the principal crops uh, that we plant here in the US. And when you aggregate those numbers off the reports, that principal crop acreage came in smaller than uh, I think a lot of people in the trade was, were expecting. I think in USDA's report today, um, about 316 million acres. Kind of depends on who you talk to in terms of what the expectations were coming in. I know one of our colleagues over at the University of Illinois, Scott Irwin, posted this on, on Twitter this afternoon. He was expecting a little over 321 million acres. I think a lot of people were expecting something close to that 320 million acres. And so the question is, you know, why didn't we see that, uh, particularly given the strong crop prices we're seeing? You would have expected to see that really pull the acreage in. And, and it did pull up um, pr principal crop acreage compared to 2020. 2020, that principal crop acreage was just below 312 million acres. So we did pull in a little over 4 million acres compared to the 2020 estimates, but maybe just not quite as much as people were expecting. And again, that, that gave us that positive response. Michael, you look at the corn planted acreage on a state-by-state -state basis, and there's a kind of an interesting story there. There's a couple of interesting stories, actually. Well, one of the things we, we expected is we're seeing about a million and a half acre switch uh, from, from corn to soybeans going from Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. And so we were expecting that may perhaps be a little larger than that, but about a million and a half acre switch from corn to soybeans for those states collectively. But the big surprise uh, was, the, was the large acreage estimates for North and South Dakota. I, I took a look at the, uh, uh, the uh, planted acres for North and South Dakota uh, since 2018. Uh, and and we, we need to remember that 2019 and 2020 were large, uh, were large prevent plant acres uh, in both North Dakota and South Dakota. And, but if you go back to 2018, uh, the acres we're seeing for both corn and soybeans is very similar to those numbers. And so I, I think essentially what's happening, uh, if we plant all the acres uh, in North, North Dakota and South Dakota, uh, that's gonna uh, result in about a 2 million acre increase in corn. Yeah, really interesting. And, and uh, 
massive percentage increases in prospective corn acreage in those two states, especially North Dakota, and really a transition away from a very wet period in those states to a pretty dry period. So I think we're kind of moving away from the concern about it being too wet to plant up there to being whether or not there's going to be enough moisture to produce a crop up there, at least uh, based on some of the reports. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, and I think the other thing that, that you looked at a little bit, Michael, was uh, a little bit of a surprise, especially in a key uh, corn state like uh, Illinois, right? Yeah, Illinois was really interesting. And, and uh, you know, uh, Scott Irwin and Gary Schnicki uh, had been doing some webinars related to uh, corn and soybean profitability. And, and they, were, they were talking about the fact that, that soybeans look quite profitable compared to corn. And that certainly bore, you know, was, was, uh, was borne born, born out in this report uh, the, the corn to soybean uh, acre ratio in Illinois is very close to one, uh, meaning that there's a very similar amount of, of expected corn acres and soybean acres in Illinois, and, and that's not typical for Illinois. Uh, you know, Illinois uh, tends to have quite a bit of continuous corn, but, uh, but not that much this year. It uh, wasn't a big surprise in Indiana to see more soybeans than corn. Uh, we've, we've talked about that in other uh, podcasts and, and webinars, the, the fact that uh, uh, the Eastern Corn Belt uh, tends to favor soybeans a little bit more than, than Iowa and Illinois. Uh, Iowa, uh, interesting about Iowa too, you know, Iowa certainly is looking, at, looking like we're going to have some continuous corn, quite a bit of continuous corn acreage. But the ratio of corn to, to soybean acres in Iowa is similar to what it was in 2017 to 2018 when we had very large soybean acreage. And so, and so I think it's safe to say that uh, our expectations in terms of corn and soybean acres were not that far off uh, when it comes to uh, Nebraska, Iowa, uh, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. And so it's kind of a head scratcher. Uh, where is these additional acres going to come in um, <laughs> you know, if, if we do have additional acres? Yeah, I think, well, the, the surprise in the report really amounts to the fact that we just didn't pull as many acres in in total on both crops, right, corn and soybeans. That was really the surprise, I guess, from that standpoint, as well as, as the impact that it had in a, in a major corn state like Illinois. So if you look at uh, corn production, so I, I took a quick look and, and kind of traced through the acreage estimate that USDA provided us today. Uh, use their trend line yields uh, assumption. Um, that gives us an increase in corn production, both uh, compared to last year and obviously compared to two years ago, but actually gives us a relatively large corn production number of about 15 billion bushels. But despite that, with the tight carryover and large usage estimates, it still looks like we're going to tighten supplies coming into the or coming out of the 21 crop year. I also took a look at what's taken what's taken place with respect to ethanol. Um, you know, I think some of our listeners probably know where the ethanol production numbers really collapsed in February with that severe winter weather uh, having a big impact on a lot of the plants across the country. Uh, so we saw some huge year-to-year -year changes in ethanol production in, in uh, the last half of February. But that's recovered pretty dramatically since then. But we're still running about, uh, I think, the most recent data through last week, about 8% below where we were this time last year. Uh, so we have not got back to where we were before the pandemic. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. A lot of expectations with the strength in oil prices and gasoline prices uh, that we'll see a resurgence and see those ethanol production numbers pick up. The year-to-year -year comparisons are going to get kind of tricky starting, uh, I think, really probably next week. 
because starting next week is when the impact of the pandemic really started to hit these ethanol production numbers. So we'll be looking at that from a little broader context, but uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how that shakes out. We're still running below a year ago. Um, if you look at the margins, the margins have improved pretty substantially. They're up in the mid to upper 20s recently on a daily uh, basis, looking at the uh, return above variable cost on a, producing a gallon of ethanol. I think the most recent data from Iowa State suggested the return was about uh, 28 cents a gallon. That was at the end of last week. Um, if you go back to late January, early February, those margins were actually negative. Plants were having trouble covering their variable costs. So it's been a dramatic turnaround from that perspective. That bodes well with respect to uh, corn usage going forward for corn going into ethanol plants. Well, if you take all that kind of at face value, uh, and admittedly, there's going to be some adjustments down the road, but at least first pass, that kind of implies a corn ending stocks estimate uh, at the end of the 21 marketing year going into the 2022 marketing year of about 1.4 billion bushels down from about 1.5 this year. So even with the rebound in acreage, even with pretty good yields, uh, trend line yields, um, it looks like we could actually still be pulling down those ending stocks numbers. And if you look at that as a percentage of total usage, that probably puts corn ending stocks coming out of the 21 marketing year at about 9% of uh, usage. That compares to the estimate for the 20 marketing year, uh, coming out of the 20 marketing year of about 10%. And, uh, you know, really kind of gives us two back-to-back -back years of relatively tight ending stocks, which bodes well for, for prices. Those are the tightest ending stocks we've seen since the 2013 marketing year. And that's a that's a marketing year we keep talking about. Nathan, you've looked at that with respect to basis in particular, thinking about you know, what might happen with respect to basis uh, later this spring and into the summer months. And you've been looking at some of those uh, analogous years when we've had some tight ending stocks. You might chime in here a little bit and tell us what you've seen. Yeah, so we've been looking at those, you know, kind of tracking some, some years um, where we went back to kind of similar uh, ending stocks as a percentage of use. And kind of just getting a, an idea of what maybe some of the basis potential uh, would be given the conditions that we're currently seeing. And, and obviously, you know, on the corn side, we've got uh, a relatively uh, normal, maybe slightly stronger than normal basis compared to the last couple of years. And again, when you think about what's happened the last couple of years, you have to be careful in thinking about those moving averages because we've had some really uh, weak basis years and some really strong basis years. But typically using that historical kind of average is, is how we create those expectations. Uh, and so again, on the, on the corn side with basis kind of tracking along uh, that two or uh, three year average, um, we would expect to see, you know, that kind of continue. Uh, and again, when you get into these years where you have uh, tighter supplies, the further you get into the summer, we always talk about, it becomes uh, extremely difficult to forecast basis. There's a lot going on uh, in those months in terms of the transition from old crop to new crop. But what you see is you get these kind of um, years where we, there's a lot of upside potential, right? We could see corn basis kind of really uh, get strong late into the marketing year. I think as we think about this year in particular, um, obviously we, we've got the conditions set up uh, for a year where we could see one of these big kind of uh, bumps in basis later in the year. But I don't think you know what we're seeing now in terms of uh, the prospective planning report today is enough to maybe get us there. It probably is going to require maybe some additional information to the market uh, to kind of really get that basis heated up uh, to the levels that maybe we've seen in some of those previous years. So some some weather conditions would probably have to play into that as well. So 
you know, what we saw from, from the report today, plus some maybe weather conditions that uh, make planning difficult or that early season weather uh, maybe being unfavorable could line up to some really, really big basis opportunities later in the year. But again, it's a, it's a big risk, right? And so really we're just trying to put uh, maybe some, some values to what, what we should be thinking about in terms of both the upside and the downside. And to put that in perspective, I think if I remember right from looking at some of your charts, Nathan, uh, to really capture that uh, the, the wild basis years, I guess, to put it uh, for, for lack of a better term, you have to carry those inventories pretty deep into the into the growing season, right? That's so right. That, that really makes it even riskier, right? The deeper you go into the growing season, the greater the risk, right? That's right. The further you get in there, the more the risk, obviously. Uh, and and again, yeah, you know, there's still there, there are opportunities in, in certain years to get you know uh, basis bumps, you know, in in June. Uh, but you know, July, August is when you see those numbers just get kind of ridiculous in terms of you know, basis values that are 60, 70 a dollar uh, over futures. Um, so yeah, the big risk. So you've been doing this on our webinars. I, I'll let you do it uh, as well, looking at new crop pricing opportunities, because I know a lot of our listeners are interested in that. We saw a big move in futures today. Um, what's it look like? Yeah, so, you know, we've been saying for, for a while now, the, the, the favorable prices that we've been seeing and, and kind of how those translate, Michael gives us kind of these, uh, you know, profitability estimates, uh, kind of forecasting out into the new crop year. And, and his estimates, you know, show really favorable um, net farm income, you know, for the 21 crop year. And so again, those are based off of these kind of new crop prices that we see uh, based on new crop December corn futures and then soybeans, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, and so basically, if you look at uh, new crop December 21 corn futures after the report uh, that we got this afternoon, uh, those are trading for $4.77. So again, futures were limit up uh, this afternoon. I calculate based on the, the Center for Commercial Ag's crop basis tool, a, a basis for this coming fall of 15 cents under. And again, that's just based on uh, an historical average um, for central Indiana. That's kind of, you know, you'd want to adjust that for whatever region you were looking at. So that 477 minus the 15 cent basis puts you at a expected uh, harvest cash price of $4.62, which uh, again is, is pretty favorable uh, in terms of uh, a fall uh, cash price opportunity. So, you know, if you haven't, you know, again, we're, we're not saying that, that anybody should be selling everything they have today for the, the fall of 21, but if you haven't taken any position uh, as you think about the, the 21 crop, I, you know, I would still be encouraging people to, to be thinking about that, uh, not letting some profitable opportunities get away. Obviously, there is upside still in the market, so you want to kind of think about doing some incremental sales. But if you haven't done anything, you know, I still think, especially after the rally that we saw today, that you'd want to be at least putting that on your radars, maybe getting some, some, some of that uh, 21 crop uh, sold at, at these prices. And it was interesting when we were getting ready for the web or for the broadcast here today, um, you know, looking at the gyration that took place in those corn prices since we did our last broadcast, which was our webinar here just a few weeks ago. Um, today's rally just took us back to where we were, right? We had lost That's some right. ground here recently and then got it back this afternoon with uh, today's close. So uh, there's a lot of volatility out there. All right, let's turn our attention and look at the soybean side. The soybeans came in at 87.6 million acres. That was about 2.7% below the average trade 
estimate coming into the report. The average estimate was a, right around 90 million acres before the report. Um, there was one analyst who came in, at least in the survey that I was looking at, there was one analyst that came in at 86 million acres. But other than that, everybody else in the survey was well above USDA's number today. So the industry was really expecting to see a larger acreage number than what we got on the report. And, you know, Michael, as you took another look at the, uh, the state estimates. Tell us what you saw on the state estimates. Well, first of all, going from 21, you know, going from going to 21 compared to 20, we have an additional 4.5 million acres of soybeans. And so let's talk a little bit about where those acres are coming from. About 2 million acres are expected to come from North and South Dakota. Again, coming out of, out of some uh, large prevent plant years, uh, increased both corn and soybeans in North and South Dakota. So about 2 million from the Dakotas, another million and a half from uh, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, uh, Indiana, Ohio. Uh, which I mentioned before, so about a million and a half acres coming from those states. Another 600,000 acres coming from Minnesota, Wisconsin. Uh, and so most states are seeing increases in soybean acres. And then the remainder coming from, uh, you know, southeast part of the uh, United States. And so the acres are coming from all over. If we, if we stop to think about where the additional acres might come from, because I, I think we're going to have more than 87 million acres. I'll just flat out say that. Uh, given the given the, the the very very tight stocks to use, we're gonna we're gonna encourage people to grow soybeans. Where they work, where could they possibly come from? I think there's several states where they could possibly come from. I think Missouri's one of those. Uh, you know, if you add up the corn and soybean acres in Missouri, it's about a million short. And so, uh, uh, are, are at not a million, but 1.1 percent short. And so, certainly, I think there could be more soybean acres in Missouri, uh, and perhaps more soybean acres in the Eastern Corn Belt. Uh, coming from Indiana and Ohio, uh, you know, uh, they could have been a little bit higher. Uh, and, and, and so certainly those regions uh, could see some more soybean acres, but uh, it, it, it's really hard. It's really hard, difficult to figure out where the additional soybean acres outside of those states uh, could be coming from because we're in a situation where both corn and soybean are quite profitable. I want to talk a little bit about Kansas in particular. You talk about competition for acreage. Uh, acreage in, in, in Kansas, uh, both looking at fairly high corn and soybean prices, but also uh, if you look at the prospective planning report, uh, we're expecting to have a million more acres of sorghum, 600,000 acres in Kansas. And so and so corn and soybean is competing with, with uh, sorghum in Kansas. And also wheat acres are up 600,000 acres uh, in Kansas. And so, and so, and, and so you, you start running out of, of states uh, where you could see some possible increases in soybeans, but 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 I, I still think with the uh, with the with the strong signals coming out of, coming out of this report uh, to grow soybeans, they're going to come from someplace. Yeah, and I think that probably gets back to that principal crop acreage debate we had at the beginning. I think we're probably going to see some more acres just come in that currently haven't been allocated to any particular crop. And uh, how many of those is the, is the question mark? But I kind of agree with you. And I think uh, this is a prospective plantings report. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the actual acreage report shows when it comes out at the end of June. Um, but most of us obviously are going to expect to see some changes relative to what we're seeing on, on this particular report. Um, you've taken a look at soybean acres versus corn acres here in Indiana, and that's kind of an interesting story as well, Michael. If you go all the way back to 73 and you look at the ratio of corn to soybean acres, uh, you, the ratio is right around 1.2 meaning that we typically have more corn acres and soybeans. However, the situation has been very different uh, since 2007. 2007 is the only year uh, where we had a, a ratio above that 
uh, long run average of 1.2. And the thing I want to point out in particular that's really interesting, that's really unique uh, in, uh, in recent years is the fact that we've had more soybean and corn acres in Indiana since 2016. If before 2016, going from 73 all the way to 2016, we had one year where that was where we had more soybean acres than corn, and so and so uh, and so again, you're hard pressed to think that we're going to get a lot more soybean acres uh, in Indiana uh, and perhaps Ohio too. Uh, but but nevertheless, it's kind of interesting to, to to talk about the fact that we've got we've had more soybean acres than corn in Indiana since 2016. And, and Michael, that really just reflects the fact that historically, uh, the Eastern Corn Belt seems to have a comparative advantage in soybean production relative to corn. Yeah, that's definitely uh, the case in Ohio, and, 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 it's, and it's, it's been the case in Indiana, uh, certainly the last 15 years or so. Historically, I don't know, uh, you know I haven't looked at the data quite as close to see if, if that's a long run, uh, a long run change, or, or if that's been true uh, in the long run. Uh, but it's, but I, I said something uh, earlier about the fact that Indi that Illinois uh, is close to 50-50. Illinois typically has quite a bit of continuous corn. And so so even Illinois, uh, we're seeing a lot more soybean acres than we typically uh, uh, typically have seen uh, you know over this long period of time. You know, Michael, when you look at the data, you do you do kind of look like a, a structural shift there taking place. If you look at that, particularly that older data uh, back in the 70s and, and through uh, much of the 1980s, uh, Indiana planted a lot more corn than soybeans. And uh, so the trend has really been in place for quite a while. As you point out, it's become more severe here and, and much more noticeable the last few years. But certainly, you certainly that's due to probably relative yields. Uh, you know, soybeans have, have, have probably, have probably are, are more competitive today than they were in the mid 1970s. I haven't dug into that in, in a lot of detail, but I, I would think that would be definitely the case. And I think the 96 Farm Bill really changed, changed things. Uh, because that farm bill increased flexibility, and you could grow corn or soybeans, uh, and 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 still get the you could still get a, a government payment. Uh, you didn't have to plant corn to get the corn payment. Didn't have to plant soybeans to get the soybean payment, and so on. I think that really changed the 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 the, the, the Eastern Corn Bill. What we plant in the Eastern Corn Bill, uh, the '96 Farm Bill. Yeah, you're right. It did create some additional flexibility, but you could also see looking at the data, you could see that trend was kind of already in, underway it's already before the '96 Farm Bill. And then maybe the 96 Farm Bill perhaps uh, exacerbated that in, in terms of giving people more uh, opportunity to make decisions. Um, so you've, you've taken a look at this corn to soybean acreage in the three I states, Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana. And um, you've kind of alluded to this, but let's kind of cover that a little more. Yeah, uh, Indiana is, has more soy, is expected to have more soybean acres than corn. Uh, that, that's been true since 2016. And as I indicated, Illinois is very close to 50-50 and it's been since early 2000s, you know, specifically 2001, where we were really close to having 50 percent corn and 50 percent soybeans in Illinois. So it's been a while uh, since we've been in this position uh, to have 50-50 in Illinois. Uh, Illinois typically has more continuous corn. In Iowa, uh, we're still looking at a corn to soybean ratio in Iowa uh, that's about 1.35. Uh, that's very similar to what it was in 2017, 2018, where there was a strong signal. Uh, to, to plant soybeans. Uh, it, you know, and so it's, it's very similar to those years where we had 90 million acres of soybeans. Again, though, if you look at the data, um, and we're looking at a chart here, so we've got looking at data for Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa. As you look at the Illinois data and you look at the Indiana data, you can see those two uh, states following a similar pattern in terms of transitioning 
uh, towards planting more soybeans and, and less corn. Uh, it's more pronounced perhaps in Indiana than in, in uh, Illinois, but still going back to 2012, clearly that pattern's in, in place. You look at Iowa, that's not exactly the case in Iowa. So Iowa's a little different uh, animal there with respect to the com uh, relative profitability of corn versus soybeans. It's still hanging and in And Nebraska's there another critter altogether. Uh, Nebraska tends to have a two to one ratio. Uh, the ratio uh, for 2021 is expected to be 1.8, which is a little higher uh, than, than, than what it was in 17 and 18. So perhaps one of the places we could see uh, more soybean acres than what's on the report uh, is Nebraska. Uh, their acreage is not as high as what it was in, in, in 17 and 18, unlike the, the states, Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana, where we're getting very similar numbers to what we saw in 17 and 18. So Nathan, uh, you took a look at uh, new crop pricing opportunities on soybeans, and uh, this is a little different scenario here relative to what we were talking about a few weeks ago on the soybean side uh, versus what we saw on the corn side, right? That's right, and really, you know, a lot of that uh, came this afternoon following the report, right? So again, uh, soybeans were, were limit up. And so we picked up, you know, 70 cents this afternoon on the soybean side. So if you look at, at again, those new crop November 21 soybeans currently at $12.56 after the report this afternoon, if you adjust that uh, for an expected um, fall basis in central Indiana of 30 cents under, that gives you a cash price of $12.26. Uh, this fall for soybeans, which again, uh, when you kind of uh, trickle that through uh, the financial statements and, and uh, Michael's um, case farm, right, that that translates to some pretty profitable levels, um, good, good, very reasonable income levels uh, for, for the 21 crop. Now, again, right, put in perspective that, you know, this morning, that was 70 cents lower, right? So, you know, you were looking more like an 11.50, 11.55, somewhere in there. Of a, of a cash price. And so again, you know, we, we've been saying for a while, uh, and again, you know, both corn and soybeans, we've already alluded to this, have, have we've seen some sell-off in, in the last week or so leading up to the report. And so, you know, uh, you kind of got to do the math there in terms of where we were two weeks ago versus uh, that sell-off. And then obviously the big rally that we saw today, but, but really, you know, like we've been saying, these are very profitable levels. Uh, obviously, there's upside, especially on the soybean side of things. And so we're not necessarily recommending that anybody go all in uh, on, on selling new crop. But, you know, locking in a, a portion of, of that new crop, that 21 crop uh, at these levels is certainly something that people should be thinking about. And again, if you haven't done anything up to this point, the rally that we saw this afternoon is, is maybe a good uh, nudge in that direction of thinking about getting some pricing done on that 21 crop at these at these levels. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting point. And you know, as you think about what's going to take place here, I think what's took place just coming into the report, the market was obviously very nervous about what these acreage numbers were going to be. There clearly was an expectation for larger acreage than what USDA reported on the report today. And as Michael indicated a little while ago, there's an expectation that these won't be the final planted numbers. We're gonna see some changes take place here as we progress through the planting season. It's gonna be interesting to see how that shakes out, but I think all of us expect to see uh, what, maybe some more acres on both of these key crops pulled in. Um, some of those uh, uh, principal crop acres that didn't show up in this report are somehow gonna come back in. We're probably gonna see a bump in acreage and um, you know, as you look at it, Michael, I guess I'm going to lean on you a little bit. You've been looking at the budgets pretty carefully. At uh, With these prices today, do you favor more soybean acres coming in versus corn or vice versa? 
Well, one of the things I looked at, I, I went back and looked at a, a budget I prepared in, in, in early March, and I really didn't change the prices very much, uh, even after the limit up today. And so it just shows you that some of the price that uh, some of the price gains we had today, we actually had uh, earlier in March. And so we're looking at very similar prices uh, to what we had earlier in, in March. And so I was a little surprised at that. Uh, but one of the things that's really changed since early March is the is the increase in, in fertilizer prices. And that's impact both corn and soybeans, but particularly corn. Uh, corn. And so, uh, you know, in early March, we were looking at a, uh, an advantage towards the soybeans that was maybe $25 to $50 per acre. Now, with the increased uh, fertilizer costs and with these, with these new prices, we're looking at an advantage to soybeans of $50 to $75 per acre, where the $75 per acre is more on average productivity land in Indiana. Uh, even on, but even on the top productivity land or the high productivity land, we're looking at advantage towards soybeans of $50 per acre. And so uh, maybe that's enough to, to, to get some more soybean acres. Yeah, I guess that's that's really the question, Mark. And I didn't uh, to trace through the, uh, the carryover estimates here on the soybean side. But if you look at USDA's acreage estimate, uh, walk through using their uh, trend yield number that they uh, gave us back in uh, the Ag Outlook form, which I think is 50.8 bushels per acre. Um, make an assumption about harvested acreage that's, uh, I used to, the average, not the last couple of years, but I used uh, going back when harvested acreage as a percentage of planted acreage was a little higher. Um, you walk through all that and look at USDA's at least first pass with respect to expectations for usage we're pretty much pulling the carryover down uh, coming out of the 21 crop year, uh, pretty close to zero. Um, that's not going to happen. So, right. You know, so we're going to, something's going to happen to cause that to change. Uh, we're either going to pull more acres in, grow more soybeans, or we're going to use fewer soybeans. Um, both of those suggest that maybe the rally in soybeans might not be over. Uh, if we need to either restrict usage and or increase soybean acreage, we're probably going to have to bump this a little farther. So that leads us to our concluding comment. Uh, big rally today, limit up moves. Are, are we expecting to see some more? I guess I just alluded to the fact that uh, I'm a little bit optimistic that we're gonna see some additional upward movement in soybean prices, not necessarily tomorrow, but over the next few weeks as we get some response here. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that Nathan, you know, I, I think I think on the soybean side, I think it's going to be a combination of the two that you talked about. I think we're going to see an increase in acreage. I would not be surprised two, three additional uh, two, three million more acres of soybeans getting close to that 90 million acres. I think we're going to need that uh, you know, uh, to, 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 to fill the pipeline. But but that's still going to be tight, even with even with 89 to 89 to 90 million acres of soybeans. We're till, still looking at a pretty uh, tight stocks to use, and so I think there's going to have to be uh, some rationing, uh, if you will. I, I, you know, um, uh, and so we're going to have to have some some kind of reduction uh, in use uh, because I yeah, because it, that it, it's still going to be really tight. Uh, you know, soybean stocks, even with 89 to 90 million acres. Nathan, yeah, what do you think? I, I agree, and I think that the the point that you made is probably you know where where I'd hang my hat, and that is you know what happens tomorrow. I'm a little less sure of, right, you know, whether we get a, some more rally or whether we pull back from these levels a little bit, um, you know, I, I don't know. But over the next, you know, several weeks or even over the next couple of months, I would expect there to be more upside, particularly on soybeans, given the situation. Um, but, you know, I think that corn probably not that far behind. And so I think there's certainly some, some upside potential here, but, uh, you know, 
tomorrow we'll have to see what happens. But over the next, you know, the, the, the little bit longer term, um, you know, the, the, the fundamentals are that there's going to be some, some more opportunity for prices to go up. Yeah, and I think the other thing this, this report tends to confirm is the fact that something we've been talking about all winter, um, this is not a, a typical uh, year where we're following a shortfall in production because of a drought, and then we simply see supplies replenish the following year. Um, we're projecting relatively large acreage of both crops using estimates of trend line yields, and we're having trouble replenishing supplies. In the case of soybeans, uh, not at all. In the case of corn, basically, uh, well, I was going to say treading water, but that's not even true. It's probably pulling it down a little bit. So um, I think the, the last point I'll make is that this suggests this is going to be a market that's going to be very sensitive to growing conditions as we go through planting season, as we go through uh, the early stages of the growing season, right up through pollination for corn and obviously for soybeans, uh, uh, pod setting and pod filling. So. Um, it's going to be an interesting spring and summer. And of course, we could have perfect weather conditions and maybe no concerns, whatever, but that would be unusual, right? So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. But it, uh, uh, this report does not suggest that volatility is going to go away. It was kind of how I'd put it. So yeah, another right, thing with, that we've been talking about in some of the webinars, Jim, is this is going to have a more legs than just the, the, the next crop. It's going to take at least two years of, of, of pretty good, uh, pretty good corn and soybean yields to replenish the supply. Yeah, good point. Well, that kind of wraps up our podcast for today. Our next webinar uh, focused on the corn and soybean outlook will be on Monday, April 12th. That follows USDA's release of the World Ag Supply Demand Estimates the previous Friday. And that'll be as an opportunity to see what's taking place on the usage side in particular. And obviously lots of concerns on, on several of the key usage categories. We'll get a good update on that. And by that time, we'll know a little bit more about spring planting season. So with that, I want to thank my colleagues, uh, Dr. Michael Langemeyer and Dr. Nathan Thompson for joining us this afternoon. And on behalf of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minard. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.